I went to my first proper rock concert last week. I went and saw Churches. Are you into them? They're great. I have not seen them, though. I was just in such a state of bliss because their latest record has this huge horror film bent to it. Like, they came out on stage to the theme music from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, nice. The finale of the show, like the last three or four songs of the show, the lead singer performed in a t-shirt that says Final Girl across it. So I was just like, you know, this this band knows how long I've been waiting for a proper rock show, and they are delivering exactly what I need. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 274 of The Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Dear listeners, uh, it's, it's just... A constant change in status from day to day, really. Like, I mean, you could wake up on Tuesday and everything's okay. The news is all right. Your job is going great. By Wednesday night, all of that has changed. The, the It's just a constant state of go with it, roll with it. You know, just play jazz, I Ching, Dharma, all of that. And, and my show is not at all immune to that kind of ethos. I... I I had something all wonderful and amazing and exciting, all crafted, and then just fate dropped into my lap and I could not do what I wanted to do. So I am blessed though. I am blessed because I have friends. I have amazing friends. I have amazing support who are happy to jump in and make my silly little shenanigans happen. And today uh, I'm I'm happy that one of those people is here. I'm, I'm actually really excited that things have turned out this way because as we were saying off air the movie we're going to talk about there are few people in this world that i want to talk about this movie with more than today's guest the only reason why she was not the plan from the get-go is that she's been all over my damn show i mean seriously in in 11 years or so of doing this show she's probably been on the most uh so you know i have to kind of space it out a little bit i don't want anybody getting fatigued because she's such a good guest and we have such good conversations so i gotta you know like put it in like little micro doses over the course of the show she is writing lordy all over the damn place and always has she's at movie phone she's at nerdist she is at uh, crooked marquee and right now she's in los angeles california she's across the wire that is mariah gates how the heck are you you know it's that time of the year that I both love and hate in LA because it's foggy and I fog is probably my favorite. I must have been a siren in the, in my past life or something <laughs> because fog is my favorite weather phenomenon. Um, but because it's the foggy time, it's also like colder and it's dark like oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have a lot of I have trouble getting out of bed yep. in the morning. Yeah. But I love to see the fog and especially at night, it's so creepy and, and I wish I had like a super eight camera so I could make a horror movie or something. I would totally watch that. Um, I'm so thankful that you were able to come in on short notice and do this show. Um, as I said, I'm really, really excited to dig into what we're going to talk about. This is going to be a short show, people. We're going to skip the usual festivities of Know Your Enemy and the other side uh, for all kinds of reasons. We're just going to talk about the raw goods today. Um, so, you know, expect a shorter show. We'll get back to a full one next week and then we'll go into the year end right after that so on episode 274 we are going to be discussing jane campion's the power of the dog this is not normally the way we go about this but i really do believe that this film demands it we are going to talk about this film like spoilers and all there are some spoilers that are really really giving things away and there are other spoilers that are kind of giving things away and i think that both my guests and i would say that you should just sit down and watch this movie don't worry about spoilers don't worry about anything like that just go in and watch it's on netflix if you have netflix it's right there in your tv or in your laptop or your device um so go in and watch it come back and and listen to us because we want to talk about everything so be warned so with that said the new slang for episode 274 is the power of the dog yeah, I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. 
Power of the Dog is directed by Jane Campion. It's written by Campion based on the novel by Thomas Savage. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Power of the Dog is about Phil Burbank, that's Cumberbatch, a cowboy in 1920s Montana. Phil and his brother George, that's Plemons, are cattle ranchers, and during one cattle drive, they meet Rose, that's Kristen Dunst, and her son Peter, that is Cody Smith-McPhee. George sees a sweet, hardworking widow and her loving son. Phil sees a threadbare old maid and an effeminate twerp. Relationships are formed, unconventional, tense, true relationships between George and Rose and between Phil and George. With George's long dead mentor, Bronco Henry, affecting the latter like a quiet stranger at a corner table in the cafe. One thing I love about bringing on writers onto this show, especially writers who have written about the work before we sit down and talk, is that I can look at their thoughts and use it as a springboard to get into our thoughts. And for that, I turn to Mariah's piece on this film, on the Crooked Marquee, where you say it's in these liminal places between what could be and what once was, where human connection is paramount for survival, where the importance of family, chosen and biological, becomes both necessary and a burden. It's in these spaces that Campion dissects the most extreme human emotions slowly and methodically, exposing each nerve carefully so that we may learn about ourselves in the process. So, pop quiz hotshot, where the power of the dog is concerned, what did you learn about yourself? Oh, man. Um, it's a, it's one of those movies that uh, reminds me that I am a country bumpkin. Um, <laughs> That was that actually that Pete, that part of the review came um, on a second or third draft when I uh, had some feedback from my dear reader who told me that I didn't go personal enough. Mm. Uh, this reminded me a lot of I grew up in a very isolated, you know, wilderness place too. What I liked about the film and what it made me think about in terms of my own self is is the way that these isolating places in the West offer these the duality of feeling free right but also they close you in to these very insular communities and that's why um, abuse is so common a character like rose she's she's kind of trapped there i'm sure she came west with her husband who then you know offed himself and and she's sort of trapped in this place and doing the best she can and it just really reminded me of of growing up in a place similarly isolated and trying to find, you know, comfort in my family and not always finding that sometimes finding the opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, it really hit a lot of personal, personal nerves. Um, yeah. can't be in so good at that. She's oh, so good totally. at taking these really, really hyper specific situations and making them incredibly, um, universal in, in the feelings that she taps into. That's, that's really important. And that's something that people I'm sure don't like who don't grow up in that environment probably don't necessarily think about is like the both the the freedom and the isolation of being where you are like you're bound by nothing like you're physically bound by nothing, right? You can just travel for miles and miles in any direction without, you know, without a whole lot of resistance. Um, and yet, you know, you're, tr you're also very much trapped in place because if you don't have what you need to travel miles and miles in any direction, you're just, you're stuck there and you got to make do with, with what you got. For me, what I learned about this, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I really learned a lot about the nature of intimidation because there is, I think on the surface, the idea that intimidation comes from sadistic tendencies of the intimidator. And don't get me wrong, in a lot of ways it does. Uh, in a lot of cases, there are a lot of people who bully and intimidate others just because it makes them happy. But it really reminded me as well, um, as somebody who, when I was younger, um, was often excluded, was often picked on, um, you know, was often made to feel lesser, that some of these tendencies also come from a place of misunderstanding of lack of self of nerves of fear not to say that like we should necessarily have compassion for the people who show us no compassion but just the complexity of it the complexity that there can be people out there who are just really mixed up not actually trying to cause another person deep harm but it's just they have no other outlet for it and they just they they can't figure out any other way 
to express them to express this part of themselves. And it made me think about the people who made me feel lesser when I was younger and maybe wondering, like, did they feel lesser themselves from somebody else? Yes. And, and I think that's so important not to, not to bring in another movie, but um, that aspect of it weirdly reminds me of Romeo and Michelle. Mm -hmm. Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Yeah. Okay. I saw that movie when I was a teenager or preteen and that, awareness of the the way that um bullying starts with you know it's like a cyclical thing where you bully someone who bullies someone who bullies someone who bullies someone and it goes on and on and on you might think you're you're the only bullied only to see that someone you were bullying someone you didn't even realize it um that movie really set my moral compass to be honest because i was like (laughs) i don't want i don't ever want to be someone i've i've been bullied enough like i was a weird short bookish kid in the middle of you know the western desert like nobody like it was horrible and i never wanted to make anyone feel as bad as i felt i think i did a good job but i don't know it's hard to know you know you don't know because you don't know what you said to people you can only try right and and i think you tried Uh, so this film um you know i I think it it doesn't uh surprise anybody to say we both love this movie yes it's so good it's it's probably in my top probably top three campions wow that's high praise for you Yes, Campion is my favorite director, for those who don't know. (laughs) I love her films deeply. What struck me about this movie is that it is so unlike a lot of her work, and yet at the same time so very much at peace with a lot of her work. Like a lot of the same themes are there. A lot of the same ideas are there. Uh, You know, I I don't know if she is necessarily a a known quantity to this generation of film goers because she was like, you know, in a in a large screen capacity, she was off the grid. Yeah, her last 12 years, her last one was 2009. She's not a brand, really, which is fine. You know, she's what she does is kind of defies brand. But yeah, watching this movie and seeing her approach to this story, uh, which has themes that tie into her other stories but is just so very different. I mean, like, you know, first and foremost, we're talking about a movie where men are at the center, which is just not what she does. And that's fine because there's a zillion other filmmakers that do that. You set me down this road seeking out stories by women um, years ago. You know, I, I, I there's a few people I credit to, to this, but you are certainly one of the very, very, very key people who set me down this road. And what I love about this road is I believe there's a presumption out there that women tell women's stories and they do and they tell them in a very different way and i do encourage everybody to seek out stories of women telling stories of women but women also tell stories of men and when they do there's this wonderful shift in perspective where everything is there that you just you pick up on it in a different way that you may not have picked up on it otherwise yeah and i think what is great about all of Campion's films, mm-hmm. really, the focus is on women. Yeah. But she almost always, if not always, has men in her films and men interacting with mm-hmm. women. Early on in her career, there's a lot of um, reviews and and think pieces about her, especially in the early 90s, that called her a man-hater. Hmm. Um, and I remember, I think it, I was doing research for something I was working on. I, I want to say it was for the piano, but it might have been for Holy Smoke, where someone was like, another anti-man film from noted man-hater Jane Campion. And it was some some film some film writer whose name you would recognize, but I'm forgetting now who it was, some prominent 90s male film writer. And I'm like, you watch her films and I'm like, she doesn't hate men. She is very incisive in all of her films about why men are so scary to women mm-hmm. and and how men use emotional violence to manipulate women. And it's in almost all of her films. Um, and sometimes the flip side, like the piano you have, um, I actually think this film is very similar to the piano in the way that it shows two kinds of men. Um, you know, where, where in the piano, Harvey Keitel is kind of this gentle, very sexual man. <laughs> and, and, um, and um sam Sam neill is is just he is so stuck in what a man should be that he like can't he just can't even fathom the woman he's got himself entangled with he he, she's too small she's too wild he doesn't know what to do he's afraid of being sexual (laughs) like it's it's and it comes out in violence right Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that you can see that 
in a lot of her films. And so uh, when people are saying that this is very different, I, I, I only think on a surface level the ratio of like how many lines the men have compared to how many lines the women have or something. Yes, it's different. But other than that, her, her films are always about uh, dissecting the way men behave and the way women behave and often how they behave together. Even Bright Star does that. Gets a reputation for being feminist. And so feminist people think, oh, it's all women. It's all women. And you take feminist lens on and you put it on everything. Yeah. She's great at putting it on everything. I mean, even portrait of a lady is very much about the men in the in the lead characters lives and how they all choose to approach her life you know and 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 how that relates into their thoughts on her their relationship with her their approaching like you kind of see the varying yeah. approaches of like you know this man truly desires her but he yeah, he puts her well-being first this other man just pure out wants her and he's like i'm gonna have you you know and and so that's like it's it's all and, it's, and the third and the third guy is just like i'm i'm a tricky i'm a tricky jerk <laughs> yeah yeah exactly she, that's another one where the uh, on the surface it's this period piece but it's really really about emotional the emotional violence of relationships mm-hmm. yeah and and all of the different men are are complex including um the one that's not even coming after nicole kidman christian bale like he's he's got a violence in him too but it comes out in in less pronounced ways it's it's a brilliant film it comes it comes out in a very weird adaptation it comes out in entitlement with him i mean it's we're we're, we're spending a long time talking about portrait of a lady which is fine because we both just watched it recently and it's and it's an amazing film um but with this movie i mean this movie is very much the same this movie you have three men at its center um, all of them very, I mean, four, if you want to count the specter of Bronco Henry, which I think we probably yeah, which should. I think you should. Yeah. yeah. Four men at its center. And, you know, the idea behind this film is they're all in this same circumstance. They're all in this very, very rough life, this very hard life. And they have all chosen to approach it differently, both based on what is in front of them and based on their past and their past always being checkered like all four of these guys are carrying baggage and i think the more i grow and the more the more i kind of learn about the world and learn about myself kind of tying back to this whole thing of what did you learn i think that is one of the measures of a person certainly the measures of a of a man in modern society is how do you deal with your baggage you know do you find ways to understand it to kind of deal with it or whatever or do you just start schlepping it on to other people because i think that's one of the things we see in this movie it, as far as the differences between you know what we know of henry and then george phil and uh, peter and how they project what they've brought to this point in their life onto other people it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about uh, uh phil we need to we need to talk about cumberbatch in this movie um yeah this is not the way that we're used to, we're used to seeing him play assholes, not this kind of asshole. This is kind of another level of asshole that also comes with a lot of complexity. Yeah. He's definitely like uh, the first, I remember the first time I saw him in a film was actually atonement. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's so slimy in atonement. And, and I do think that this is the first time he's gotten to get close to that sliminess again, only it's, it's like he was a slick slimy in that one. And in this, he's a gruff slimy. Right. Um, and, but again, like a lot of Campion's films that what's come to the surface is his own demons that he's battling on the inside. Um, which I don't know if we want to get into the, the, the spoiler. No, let's like, I mean, like we've already done that. Like, let, let's go there. Yeah. So I, I think what's, what's really fascinating about his performance and it, it starts really with that scene. Um, where Cody Smith McPhee's character brings in these beautiful paper flowers that he's made and he just trashes them, you know, and, and does the, his best impersonation of a, of a, you know, a incredibly stereotypical gay effeminate man. Right. Um, in order to sort of push down and punch down on this kind of effeminate, weird, gangly kid um, around his rowdy rough writers. Right. And it's to show it's really a performance of masculinity to show that he's this big, bad man. Right. But later, as you start hearing more and more about uh, Bronco Henry, you realize this wasn't just his like 
guy who taught him how to ride a horse and rope cattle. This was – they had a relationship. And eventually you find, you know, magazines to really indicate like, yes, there is there is something very gay going on here. But it's repressed. It's 1925. It's in a cattle ranch. It's in all these places that it shouldn't be, but literally always has been. Yeah. And because he's grown up in a world where it's not accepted and and the hypermasculine is what is is valued and and at this point in society being gay is on the other end of the spectrum which always find I always find fascinating because if someone in this hypermasculine world is also gay doesn't shouldn't that show you that that's wrong yeah <laughs> right but that's not how people's brains work so uh instead they they try to re- repress and push it down and 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 fight to be the exact opposite of what, of the stereotype that they've grown up with and those internal struggles within Cumberbatch is what makes his his um performance I think for me so strong because you get all the surface level stuff that he does and all of the ways that he tortures Rose and tortures the kid but then he's such a great um, internal actor that you see him do one thing with his body and you can see something else going on behind his eyes. And I, and I do love that Campion is not afraid of doing certain close-ups, close-ups on faces, close-ups on hands, close-ups on the various places in which a, a really good actor will bring forth layers to their performance beyond the action and beyond the the lines. And, and so it's a really great melding of her style and him as as someone who can really bring a lot of different meanings to just like simple lines or, or or movements. They all work in concert to put together this very complicated bully. You know, it, this this guy who is what he is, but can't tell anyone. You know, like the only time that he really gets any peace with this side of himself is in this really secluded like cold at a quarry it's not like something that he is comfortable with behind even just closed doors it's not like he goes to his room and he's able to be himself or when he's by himself he's able to be himself it's like no no no. i have to be well away from the entire world to embrace who i am and and you know and do that i think the other thing that's really interesting is that he when he spots um peter and he sees these sides of his personality that he's comfortable with, there's this automatic reaction of attack. You know, I talked about it earlier as a projection of earlier abuse. When I say it like this, it almost feels like jealousy. Like here is a man who may or may not be queer. We actually don't even really specifically know to be entirely, which is cool. I like that that's actually there now that I think about it, but he's just comfortable with that side of himself. You know, he has no qualms in this rough and tumble world, in this really, really stark, hard community, wearing white tennis shoes, wearing his hair like this, doing his collar all the way up and his cuffs all the way down and making little paper flowers. You know, it's like, holy shit, this is a guy who is absolutely embracing who he wants to be. And Phil's reaction is, this cannot stand. You cannot do that if I cannot do that. I also I also love how outwardly what Peter represents is is to um fill this very feminine, right? But then we get these moments of just inherent violence in mm-hmm. Oh yeah. in in Peter in in very scientific cold violence meticulous the same way that he meticulously crafts those flowers in those early scenes with the with the folding and the and the cutting with the scissors and making them perfect versions of flowers out of paper you see him do that with the with the rabbit that he catches and and so when you get to the the end big spoiler here (laughs) you get to the end and you see and you see what he's done and you get little little bits of it, like like Campy gives you little bits, um, so that you should you should be able to figure it out uh, what happened, right? Because um, the first the first time I watched it, I was like, 
wait a minute. And then I remembered things that she showed us. And I was like, well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah this, us, yeah, it's all, it's, it's all there. It's all there. You're paying attention. Yeah. But, uh, it's one of those things where my dad watching it, as soon as that the scene where he's visiting the cows, he would have turned to me and been like, he's going to poison the guy. Yeah. Because that's the kind of stuff that my, my dad always catches that. I'm always like so enthralled that I never notice until it happens. But, but she does it in such a way. It's so smart that you, 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 you you see this violence in him and this meticulous nature, and yet you're you're still like, wait a minute, did he just? But you also like the whiplash comes because you don't notice it, but it also you're like, no, she really set up that he's this kind of dude that would be that meticulous to do this. I think it's, what I love magical. about that too is that um, Peter even warns us, right? Like he warns us that before his father died of suicide that his father was concerned that he was too hard and too violent and too uncaring. You know, like uh, Phil is like, wait, what you too uncaring. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what my father saw in me. So, you know, it's part of this kid, you know, that this, this kid at some point or another in his life was very cold and very uncaring. And yet you completely forget about it because he's in the, in the face of somebody who is himself right now, cold and uncaring, and he is presenting this way. So it's, it's all like, it's all there. It's crazy. The, I know I don't usually recommend to people doing this, but the trailer of this movie tells you the whole friggin' thing. It tells you, but you have no idea. There's this, there's this undercurrent of this movie of what you see presented in front of you. You know, he talks about how Bronco Henry could see in a way that other men couldn't see. And that was one of the things he loved about him. And that's the whole movie. That's what do you see that others don't? Um, And it's right in there. Like, you know, everything from the character to the plot in this in this movie is showing you things that you really should be recognizing that you conveniently don't. I also I also do want to talk about. Uh, Kristen Dunst as Rose. Yes, please. I, Campion has said that she, in adapting this book, really added more to Rose's character. Like I said, Campion is somebody who likes to showcase all of of um, the complexity of men and women. And mm-hmm. I think, th- I haven't read the book, so I, I don't know, but uh, from what I've read from her interviews, it sounds like the Rose character really did need a little more development. It, it really was very hyper-masculine in what the book was doing and and this character is just sort of there and to be um you know a wedge right okay but in campion's hand she crafts such a complex woman out of rose she is you know i i wrote a, a an essay a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago now i'm not sure about prairie madness and so i had i've done quite a bit of research on on sort of how that happened to women why it happened. Um, actually, one of my favorite books from a kid, it's it, from when I was a kid, is called the, These Happy Golden Years. And at one point, Laura Ingalls Wilder, she's staying with a woman who's suffering from prairie madness. And um, prairie madness is basically a lot of these women who, who were pioneers who, who moved out to the West, they ended up in places that were complete opposite in terrain from where they grew up. Often they were from like Boston or New York or what have you. And then they're in these middle of nowhere places where you can't see anything except miles and miles and miles of nothing. And then the wind blows from every direction. And where I grew up, we had very similar wind. It was this high mountainous basin. The wind blew from every direction. You never knew where you were. It was horrible. I can totally see how it would drive people absolutely out of their minds. So she's she's this woman in this place with all these men with the prairie winds. Her husband dies by suicide. She's now she's now um what they call a suicide widow. A lot of times those women would go home. They would go back to their families. They would go back east. They would not stick it out. She's sticking it out. She's sticking out. She's with her son. They're trying to create this life and it's almost it's the amount of strength that it takes to run not just a restaurant, but a clearly a, a an inn by yourself as a woman at this time in such an isolated place. It, already, you meeting Rose, you know she's a super strong woman. And, but internally, because the Rose that we meet is this very fragile sounding, delicate, you know, wears lace woman, right? Mm-hmm. And she has that, it's Kirsten Dunst. So she's small. She has this very light, tawny blonde hair like you everything that you imagine on the surface level of a a delicate small woman but you know that 
in the inside, this is this is such a strong person that she's able to like raise her kid, have this business, keep putting up with all these horrible drunk cowboys. It's it's stunning. And then you <laughs> right when you think she's going to get, you know, uh, a piece of, of harmony, you know, she's found George has found her. They're both delicate people. They've they find strength in each other. You're like, oh, this is great. And then Phil like <laughs> starts needling her and gaslighting her and and just psychologically torturing her. And you're like, just let Rose be. Yeah, she was um, so and, close. Yeah, so close. And what I love about the second half, where she starts to slowly lose herself to alcoholism, is is that she's still this strong woman, even though she has to self medicate to try to try to endure she's still thinking about the being hospitable she's still thinking about waste you know like phil is wasting these these hides and she's like this is waste we should we should we should give these to people who are going to use them like she's still this very empathetic person she's still pushing and while continually crumbling yeah i think that the metaphor i wrote um in my review i called her a teacup um because That's anyone awesome. who drinks anyone who drinks tea knows that the especially if you're using like a fancy looking teacup, like they look so delicate. But like I have one that on the inside has so many little cracks that I'm just I'm just waiting for it. Break, <laughs> right? I've had it for like six or seven years. I love this teacup. Every time I look at it, I'm like, when are you gonna break? But it hasn't because it's it's so well constructed and so strong that even though it has these little cracks. And and I scald it with tea like every day. It's it's still holding on, and and I think that's how Dunst plays Rose. And but it's it's so subtle and so internal. It's difficult because <laughs> at a, at a glance, it almost looks like she's sidelined. But it's I think part of it is just because the story is so much about these others that it's you know it it struggles to always pull focus, especially when one of them, namely Phil, is not in the scene because their, their presence just looms so large. But it doesn't mean that the presence of uh, Rose is anything less. Um, like I'm thinking about for, as a, for instance, when she's when she's practicing that piece on the piano, you know, like she has gone to great lengths to tell George I really don't play. I used to play in a theater, like when the when the when the movie was playing. I used to play the accompaniment, but I really don't play anymore, and I am rusty as hell. But he's like, no, you just need a new piano, like that that really chipper, sometimes not as helpful as it seems approach. And I mean, I've I'm guilty of this all the time. And he and he goes and gets her a baby grand. It's like, hey, here's your baby grand. Now I know you love to play, so play your baby grand. And you can see her like struggling on her own to get her fingers to do what her brain wants them to do. And then in comes Phil to really fuck with her with his banjo. Wait, yeah. And Phil, this, this virtuoso musician on top of everything else, you're yeah. just like, damn it, Phil. Yeah. Is there any way you can't torment people? It's just, yeah. Just leave her alone. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because like most of that scene is on her and on her, struggle to get her body to do what her brain wants it to do. I mean, that's, it's a, it's an incredible metaphor for the whole thing. It's like the brain is willing, but the body is not cooperating. Right. And that a lot of that is Rose in terms of her, her whole approach. Once these men just drop themselves into her life, she was doing just fine in that cookhouse and in, you know, and then, you know, they decided to take her out of it and take her out to this middle of nowhere estate uh, to, to, to start a new life. Right. And and kind of what I love about about how how Dunst plays Rose is that she really is this kind of she's very strong, but she's also kind of humble, and she knows her limitations, and she knows herself so well. And and it's sweet that that George thinks that getting her a fancy piano is is enough to make her a virtuoso. It's sort of like that 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 bit in Citizen Kane, you know, where. He builds a whole opera, whole opera house, house for her. It's still not going to make her an opera singer, and right. and and she knows that in Susan Kane too. But she's doing it because she loves she loves him, and she's going to try. Um, and in the exact same way, like just because you're trying doesn't mean that you're going to be it. And yeah. but Phil is such a rat bastard. Can I say bastard? I don't. Oh know. yeah, yeah. No. Oh, okay, he has to show that he is a virtuoso, and that she shouldn't even try, even though she's not really trying to seem refined she isn't she knows no. she's not she knows she's not a pianist yeah and 
yet he has to show her up anyways because he has to make everyone feel smaller, even when she already feels small. Rose poses him no threat. It's not like Rose is going to like steal away his brother and that's going to mess with things like they've got a very nice little setup going on. Rose is not stealing his attention. Rose is not stealing his money. Rose is just, she's just, she's there. She's happy. She makes George happy that, you know, you would think that that would make their business even better because now George has a way to be happy. Why do you want to mess with someone just because they make someone else in your life happy? It's clear from the first scene where they're riding their horses into town that George and Phil have had some fissures. Mm -hmm. It's, it's clear that George is weary and tired and 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 is looking for a new kind of life. And Phil is not. And and I guess what's interesting to me on a on sort of a queer re- reading of the film is that Phil had Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry's been dead for 20 years. And he sort of filled that gap, or at least it's implied that he sort of filled that that almost homoerotic gap with his brother the whole time, which is a bit weird. Um, (laughs) They've shared a room. They've been buds. Again, it's this isolating place where kind of like in um, um, certain women, the Lily Gladstone character, when she finally, finally finds another (laughs) probably lesbian, it, the person lives a hundred miles away and she drives in once a week. Right. And it's like, that's what it's, it's, it's kind of like that where there's not that many. And when you find one, it's like you hold on really tight. I think it's implied that, he hasn't found another companion, right? And and so he's doing the best he can with his brother. And then as as his brother's starting to pull away, he's panicking because it's like what he's his companionship is is at stake. It's and, the only way and, he's had to cope. Like he hasn't been able to find a partner. You know, yes. it's it's the only kind of channel. It's the only surrogate he's been able to find for a real queer partner. And and that's why I I love she has this toxic masculinity in in terms of the way that he reacts when the situation blows up, right? But the root cause of why he is such a macho jerk stems from loneliness and stems from vulnerability and stems from these things that are often considered inherently feminine when they're not. They are human traits. And, and I think that Campion does a really great job of throughout her entire career showcasing both sides of the spectrum things that are considered feminine are inherently human and things that are considered masculine are often inherently just human traits yeah um that that come out in different ways based on socialization more than than nature she lays that that entire theme just as they're riding their horses it's, mm-hmm. it's brilliant yeah um oh, this movie's so good in the background of all of this, we, we've touched on it a few times already. We've got the specter of Bronco Henry and who a man who once said that a man is made by patience and the odds against him, which, okay, uh, that's that's fascinating, really. Uh, and, and I do not disagree. But what I what I'm interested with about this guy is how, first of all, like the the, the very, very clear effect that he has on Phil. I don't think, I don't think five minutes of screen time goes by where Phil is in the scene and he does not mention this man. And none of these people are ever thinking, so you and Bronco Henry, or maybe they are, and they're just yeah. too afraid to say it. <laughs> yeah. They just um, don't want to say it. But what I love is, you know, again, kind of like Phil himself, like Bronco Henry just defies the convention of a homosexual man because they talk about they talk about him as legend like the guy might as well be paul bunyan they talk about how he like stacked up chairs and and tables from a cafe picked a horse and jumped them you know and how he could see things where other people couldn't see things and he knew how to rope and he knew how to ride and yada 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 all of this from quite clearly a gay man um this whole character who we never see is bloody fascinating yeah, I think, again, it, it really shows how she is always trying to upend um, stereotypes and to, sh- to show that just because you expect everything to be one thing, like you expect all gay men to be kind of like Peter, mm-hmm. this very effeminate, you know, and it's never clear if Peter is gay or not. It, no. They leave that kind of That's, up to... Which is fascinating. That's an amazing yeah. touch. You, you don't know. <laughs> no. 
it's it's unclear. Could because it, you you start to kind of think that he's he's buying into what what Phil wants this relationship that yeah. he he wants because Phil thinks that he's found somebody because yeah. of stereotypes. Right. But then when it's clear that he was he was honeypotting the whole time in order to to exact revenge for his mom mm-hmm. and protect his mom, you're like, wait a minute. So then to have basically the very stereotypical presentation of a gay man. And then Bronco Henry being this like incredibly macho person, be the act, the only him and, and Phil being the only two very one hundred percent they are gay. It's it's fascinating to show like just because you think one thing, there's a lot more going on underneath than you you expect, and it's it's great. I really loved the ending of this movie. I I, yeah, I got, definitely yeah no we got we got we have like, to yeah like, we have to steer to that otherwise we'll be talking about this all day. But I mean like what yeah. I, what I love about this is that there are so many themes in this movie that really and truly is just clear cut straightforward storytelling. But and then, and just, then wait and then on top of all of that, just to do a shout out, yeah. um, the cinematographer is Ari Wegner. It, she's a woman. Mm. She shoots the heck out oh of New Zealand for Montana. They yeah. actually shot it's, New Zealand, not it's Montana. It's gorgeous. This movie it's, is one of the most stunning films you will ever see. The use of color, the use of perspective, um, the way that she is able to to bring to life low light interiors mm-hmm. to show Rose's like uh, struggles, and then to equally be comfortable shooting cattle roping and and prairies and and it's like and then the mountains like there's this one shot it's it's one of my favorite shots in the whole movie when george and rose first get married and they sort of have this beautiful tender cup of tea together on a mountain and then it pulls back and they're these two tiny small people hugging amongst this huge mountainscape and you're like the mild irony about this movie is that everybody is going to watch it in their home and this is I one know. of the movies that deserves to be seen so very very big it's such a it's so stunning and I'm really grateful. I saw it at um a TIFF. I was very grateful that I got to see it uh large and the score from Johnny Greenwood is so just terrifying and he's got three scores this year so like hopefully he doesn't like cancel himself out because <laughs> each score is unique and wonderful and frankly it should just be three Johnny Greenwood scores and then two other ones. I don't yeah. care. If anybody hasn't been scared off by our our, our spoiler claim at the beginning of this movie you really want to turn back now because we got to talk about the end of this movie and yes. the end of this movie is what i like to call Chekhov's anthrax because yeah that's good my god for two things number one could they not have spelled out clearer that anthrax was gonna come up you know number no, one exactly we- like if i watched this with my dad i, I said earlier but like very much yeah. my dad would have immediately turned to me and been like he's gonna poison him yeah because yeah. he's so good at picking up those clues. I didn't I was like, "Oh, yeah, he's a weird kid. He likes to poke rabbits." Of course, right. he's poking a dead cow. Yeah. <laughs> that's so there's number 1 is 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 that that that's there the whole time. The other thing that's there the whole time that I didn't even catch until watching it again for this show is the way that Peter warns us and says, "What kind of man would I be?" Like in the bloody introduction of this movie, "What kind of man would I be if I didn't stand up for my mother?" I'm like, "Holy yeah. mother of God!" He warned us. He warned us. We knew he was meticulous. Ah, uh. he's, he's making this rope, and you're like, "Oh, he's just learning what Phil wants him to learn." Check it out. He's making a rope. Good work. <laughs> I've got, course, I've got some. I've got some hide. We can make a rope. Uh. It's, it's like similar to making them flowers. It's like, you know, oh, this so oh, it's good. Yeah, so you know, we get this movie where the the this bully is offed by this effeminate loner by way of anthrax in a gesture of I'm going to make you something that's going to make you more manly. Like I'm going to mold you into the kind of queer male that this society will allow and then we'll be happy because that's what happened to me and i'm gonna do it by making you this rope and oh look at that you've got some hide okay i'm not thinking anything of you because i don't see you as any kind of a threat because of how you present and not like in seconds he's sick and he's gone that is like the most incredible punch to the face of this movie that from one cut to another cut he's he wakes up sick and in the next cut he's dead that is 
that is stone cold filmmaking right there. And that is that is how fast anthrax works. Oh yeah, too. that's why it's so. That's why you got to handle everything with gloves. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, and um, the the reason why they you get one sick cow, you gotta immediately get all the other cows out of the way. You gotta burn that thing. You yeah. have to make sure no one touches it. You gotta bury it with dirt. I think what I also really appreciated about the film, having grown up in like cow country, is how specific she uses aspects of a cattle ranch to play with the themes, particularly the 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 surface level of things, and then kind of the the way that things can be dangerous if not handled properly. And- oh yeah, okay. It's it's genius. Like this this movie's a masterpiece. Uh the, the uh, Smith McPhee's performance which we didn't really dig into is really complicated, really fascinating even right down to the way when we get to the end of the, the end of this movie he's he's handling that rope and I mean he knows the danger it presents so he he keeps it and it's like that's his that's his new dagger, but he keeps it in a spot where it's going to be safe and he doesn't need to worry about being of, of it being a danger to himself. Um, you know, all of it, it's it, the, the, the absolute now we're gonna, now we're going to cut his throat. And now we're going to toss him over the side of the end of this movie. You, like the, the whole movie just puts you into this comfortable spot where it's like, I'm watching this terrible person become a little bit less terrible. I'm watching this kid who presents one way, but is clearly something else. And I'm just in it for a few minutes and I don't know where it's going to go. And then it just yanks the rug out from under you in a way that doesn't cheat. I think doesn't cheat is a really strong point. Like she intricately weaves all these little things together and you don't quite know what sometimes what any of it means until until the reveal at the end and you see the whole rug, you know, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> How did she do that? Yeah. I think of the films I've seen this year, the best directed in terms of just literally everything from the big picture of it to the minute details. I, did, I haven't seen anything that is as masterfully constructed. No, it's it's a masterpiece. Like we're talking about a master filmmaker who, who has more than one masterpiece and you can add this to the list, who is out there just saying i can tell any kind of story i want you know i can i can tell the gritty crime story i can tell the corset and bustle story and hey you know what i'm going to tell a story about gay cowboys and it's not going to be the one that you think it is um and i'm just going to lure you in and you're going to come along for the ride with me and then once we're out in the middle of the desert i'm just going to cut your throat because i can and you know what she does it so damn well it's like I, I almost feel like I underestimated her going into this, which is really weird because I hold her in high esteem, but it's just not the kind of thing that I expected out of this movie, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I love it so much. I didn't know what to expect with this title because I hadn't read the book. I know he's a cult filmmaker. Actually, my high school English teacher, when I posted my review of this, um, she left like the longest comment on my Facebook post That's because awesome. she because she's from Oklahoma and then has lived in my hometown for I don't know 40 years I think so um this his his works really speak to to people like her who are these like literate western sure bookish people right right, right. um and and she has a, a a cattle ranch and um um peacocks and stuff it's it's very strange i used to rake her leaves and not a euphemism i actually rake her leaves. <laughs> i realized when that came out that, came, that sounded wrong <laughs> but, um, she she loves his his books and had wrote like this wrote this big long paragraph about um her expectations and i was like i, I haven't read them so i don't know but I think you'll like this movie a lot. I'm really, um, I'm really hoping to read the book. Like, I uh, first of all, I'd love to see that that comment from your teacher because I'd love to include that in the show notes of this of this post. So if you could send me that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, um, yeah it's on my Facebook page. Wonderful. Um, Maybe if I'd read this book, I'd know what I was getting into, and I'd be able to see the keys that that uh, Campion is laying down as as we go along. But yeah, that for I'd certainly see it the second time through. The first time through, it was just this amazing story that in its final moments decides that it wants to reveal its true colors and drop the mask and show just how violent it really has been the whole time. And it's, and it's totally earned. It's a really hard thing to do something like this and earn it. You know, that's, it's why a lot of people tend to bristle 
about twist endings is because they don't feel like the the math was there, but the math is all there. I, I've always said that the best twists in storytelling, the story is not about the twist. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, the, like, I think that's when people really bristle is because a twist seems to come for the sake of a twist. And we had yes. a moment there where there were a lot of twists all of a sudden in film. This is not that. Like I, this is this movie is not about death by anthrax that you don't expect. This movie is very, very much about identity and perceptions and toxicity and masculinity and gender identity and sexual identity. Like there is so much else going on in this movie that just flat out distracts you from the twist. Yes. And, and which is why it's like, it's a thriller, but it's also an emotional drama, which is so wonderful about like Campion. She plays in a lot of different genres, but Mm -hmm. in the end, most of her films are essentially thrillers or or a bit about death yeah. like someone someone dies pretty much in spoilers someone <laughs> either dies or comes close to dying in almost all of her movies right. um but she explores that proximity to death in in within different genres and um i don't know anybody who like can make so many different kinds of films and yet you look at the body of work as a whole and, and go, yeah, this, this is definitely from the same, same mind. We end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would, there is a lot of tangible tactile items in this movie. Um, the production design is kind of off the hook. Uh, Mariah Gates, if you could keep one thing from this movie, what would you keep? It's definitely that, that shot that I mentioned of George and mm. Rose embracing with the mountains around them. It's, it was, it's probably my favorite single shot in a film all year. It's so, it reminded me of my home. It reminded me of feeling small and finding connection. And it, I just, it just felt so romantic. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with something a little bit more obvious. I want one of those flowers. I want one of those little paper flowers that, uh, that Peter makes because they just look so intricate and so meticulous. And I just, I, I, I'm a, I'm a slut for anything that takes effort, you know, that any, anybody spent time working on, whether it's a craft or whether it's food or, or something like that. Like I love detail and, and work that goes into it. So I'd love one of those flowers. I know that like some critics are actually getting sent them by Netflix with like the promo stuff for this movie. So I'm kind of hoping that one comes in my way, but I don't know. We rate here on the matinee cast. On, I'd like, this is completely anticlimactic at this point, but we rate on a scale of one to four stars. Mariah Gates, what do you give? Jinky, it's the power of a dog. This gets a, this gets a five stars. No, I'm kidding. Ah. Um, no, it gets a full four stars. Yeah. Like it's, there's, it's flawless. It, as far as it's, I'm it's an incredible movie. I, I really hope everybody sees it, especially because it's right there. We're not going to do another side of this episode, but I am curious if you were to point somebody towards some further reading after this movie, like what kind of films would you recommend? Well, frankly, I would just say rewatch all of Campion's, especially Absolutely. the films that like she's considered a great filmmaker, but a couple of her films are considered lesser than, and I, I think they deserve uh, reassessment. So in the cut is one, I think in the cut is finally really getting a second look. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, it derailed. She only had one film after that. It derailed Meg Ryan. Like, the only one who came out of that movie sort of unscathed was Mark Ruffalo. It really helped him launch, really. And it's unfair. He's great in it. But that film is probably her most um, feminine in terms of the way that it is dissecting female desire and female anger and female fear. Um and it's just it's a really hot movie. And then um, I, having rewatched The Portrait of a Lady, I know that that was um, called a terrible adaptation at the time. But again, it's so deeply feminine that I, th- I feel like most of the reviewers were either men or like self-hating women or something because it is it is such a complex film. And Kidman is is it's one of her best performances in terms of just complexity and and the way that she is so good at being fragile even though you know nicole kidman is like a fiery person she's she's so psychologically fragile in that movie and fiery like she starts out fiery and ends up psychologically fragile i don't even know it's it's a brilliant performance um and then also holy smoke which is another one that i think that's the one of hers i I think that's the only of her features i haven't seen 
It's it's one that gets again gets sort of called lesser than, but it, it's probably the most like ferocious performance from Kate Winslet. Okay. And um, Harvey Keitel, just a little, little, little teaser here. Harvey Keitel at one point um, ends up in a dress and a red dress and heels. So fantastic. That's if you want, if you, yeah, if you want that image in your head, uh, watch you Holy will, Smoke. Yeah, you, it will live in your head because <laughs> he looks really good in the dress. Um, I think for me, the movies that I would go on to after this, um, there, there's there's a couple very clear allusions um that are not cheats or like like not cribbing um to mccabe and mrs miller um in this movie they they, they put you know jesse plemons in this really big fuzzy warm yeah, baby coat. coat yeah and, and there's like tracking shots behind him where it really plays up the coat and the hat it's the coat and the hat like the the hat that he wears that george wears is very much like warren Beatty's hat in mccabe and mrs miller um so i think that's one that i would say would make a good pairing it's another one that's a non an unconventional Western. I love unconventional Westerns. I really, really do. I think it's an underrated genre. I think there's not nearly enough of them made that, that, you know, that there's so much more to say about life in this part of America than just, you know, white hats and black hat cowboys. Um, I was going to mention in the cuts. I'm glad you did. Another one that I would mention, we did a matinee cast about it the year that it dropped, but um, it's a movie by Karen Kusuma called Destroyer with Nicole Kidman, which I really love because again, that kind of plays with the perceptions of what sort of stories to expect out of storytellers like Jane Campion and Karen Kusuma. And you actually reminded me of one that I want to recommend, and I'm sure it was in your piece. So it's like, I don't think it's one that you haven't seen or something like that, but you reminded me when you were talking about um, Prairie Madness, that's the term. Yeah. Prairie Madness. Yeah. A film from just a few years ago by uh, Emma Tammy called the wind, which. Yeah. That's the, that's the movie I wrote about. Yeah. When I was writing about Prairie Madness. It's a, such a good. Oh film. my God. That movie is so fantastic and gets into the whole way of how Prairie Madness worked and how like the fact that you just couldn't hear anything beyond a few yards away would cause you to, to lose it. Um, and it's an amazing movie and it's really dark and really twisted. And I love that one so much. So if people haven't, it's, it's a little, I mean, it's out there somewhere. I'm sure that is episode 274 of the matinee cast. I'm so, so thankful that Mariah was able to come in on short notice and, and have this wonderful conversation with me. I, I'm not at all surprised because that's been my life for the last decade. Every time Mariah comes in, I have fantastic conversations and I just learn more shit and it's wonderful. And I'm so lucky to have this woman as one of my friends. Um, I always love coming and talking to you about movies. Um, I always have a blast. And uh, I just love that I got to talk so much about this particular movie because it is it is so stunning. And I, I really I think it's one of the great films this year. So I, I, I hope totally check agree. It out. If people haven't got enough of us talking about this, we are actually, you know, not to spoil anything. We are going to be doing another Jane Campion conversation, a longer, broader Jane Campion conversation in the new year. So just if you enjoyed this, we will have more soon. Um, but I'll tell you more about that as it comes, because it is not my news to tell. However, that is episode 274 of the matinee cast. Come on back Monday, December 20th for episode 275. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about because there's so many good things coming. Um, but we'll discuss something ahead of the year end episode on New Year's Eve. Um, Mariah can be found all over the place. Plug your shit. Where can people find you? Oh, wow. Um, I think I'm the most active on Twitter these days. Um, So old films flicker on Twitter. But I'm also on Instagram. um, Same handle. And uh, there's uh, if you go to I guess it's is it Linktree dot? Yeah, yeah. Does that work? Link. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. Right. Slash old films flicker. I post all of my writing there. That's the easiest like one-stop shop to see everything I'm writing Yeah, about. and any of the links that we're going to drop into the show notes, just click on Mariah's name and you'll find, I'm sure, all kinds of other articles on all of those various platforms that she's wrote. And uh, it's always a good time. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in places like Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Blueberry. Um, there's all sorts of new places I'm putting them. And again, if there's a podcast... Um, platform of choice that you use and my show is not there let me know i'm happy to put it there everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts for new episodes drop feedback on um the power of the dog can be left in the comment section of the site you can email me ryan at the matinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca and there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts miss gates um just 
always watched Jane Campion movies. Period. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's my entire. That's it. <laughs> that's that's your, all I have to say. That's your T-shirt. She's, she's literally the best out there, and you know, uh, hopefully, she gets to make more films now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's been gone yeah. too long. That was that was my takeaway from all this. Is she's been gone way too long, and too twelve long. twelve years in between movies. I know she was doing other things like Top of the Lake and those kinds of things, but I mean, I'm like, I want to sit in a dark room and watch her stories writ large. So I really hope that this is the start of, of a whole second act for Jane Campion movies because we are all better people when we get to see them. For Mariah, I am Ryan. We will see you at the magic.